Welcome, everyone, to this Forbidden Door 2023 recap show. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. For those of you watching on the video, uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, coming up on the show today, it is very simple. We are going over what we just saw at Forbidden Door 2023. Uh, this one just wrapping up from Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, so, just get the, the quick things out of the way quickly here. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Have some big announcements coming up very, very soon. So uh, keep it locked on all of my social medias for uh, all of that as I pull up the results here and we get ready for, um, or as we react to what was uh, overall a, a very good show. Um, th there wasn't a whole lot that didn't just like fully deliver tonight. Th there wasn't like a an undercard thing that's well, there might have been an undercard thing that stole the show, but there was just a lot of very quality wrestling tonight. And let's let's start at the end. Um, as Brian Danielson defeats Kazuchika Okada by submission at twenty seven forty to earn the title of best wrestler in the world, which is weird when you have two world championship matches on your show, but whatever. This was a very good match that never got to be a great match, in my opinion. Um, I think you saw from Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada a, a phenomenal match with excellent storytelling, and you saw a, a couple of performers really put it out there. It felt like there was still one level that this could have got to. You know, like sometimes we'll talk about a match and say, ah, never really got out of first gear. This one never really got into fifth, you know? Like, it, it didn't reach that final boiling point where it was just like, oh my god, what a phenomenal match this was. Um, I saw some people saying that it, it just didn't get enough time. It got 27 minutes and 40 seconds. Probably enough time. Just gonna put that out there. Probably long enough to, to do that, although um, another match on this card got almost 40. But this was this was excellent, excellent, excellent work from these two guys, and it it feels like I'm shitting on it by saying yeah, it was like the second or third best match on the the, the card. That that was like that is not my intention it, to shit on this match. It just it wasn't the great dream match we thought it would be. You know, like it, it, I guess maybe it was. Maybe I'm putting too high of expectations on it, but it never reached the full level that I was waiting for it to get to. Like, this reached the level, like I said, of a very good wrestling match. And probably, honestly, I'm being a little bit shitty and saying it didn't reach the level of the, the dream match, because it was. It was really, really good. It just wasn't... It wasn't what I thought it could have got to. That That's kind of the, the way I feel about this one. But you have some excellent storytelling. You have some just wild, wild moves with... Um, with both of them, really. And then you get, like, the Busaiko Knee a couple of times. The Rainmaker, Danielson, is able to kick out of it. There is a story being told about Danielson working away on the arm of Kazuchika Okada, and that eventually is where the, the submission comes to. But it, it just felt like that was the submission that Okada was going to get to the ropes, and then he was going to... Um, get out of it, and then we're going to get into just an absolutely batshit crazy um, exchange at the end to, to to close this one out. But instead, Danielson gets a submission. It would have been a bit more satisfying it was a, if it was a 1-2-3, but for Brian Danielson, this fits the character, I think, really well. Um, they were already starting to tell the, the story on the broadcast about how Okada maybe saved himself for the G1. 
um, which is certainly something they might be able to say on on Dynamite. I, I didn't. It, it kind of felt like in the moment, just like, oh yeah, he's just getting his heat back or whatever. But it, it felt like it. I don't think you're ever going to pay that off, right? Are they going to tell that story during the G1 that, oh, wow, look at Okada. Look how hard he can Rainmaker because he tapped out against Brian Danielson. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. The only way I believe that that this really made any sense to bring up was if you're going to do this match again, uh, whether it be at a Wrestle Kingdom or if you're going to do it at an all-out or all-in or whatever then maybe you can say, like, Brian Danielson's like, I hate that there was an excuse. I need to, to do this again, and but in a, a more insufferable way because the, the character is a heel. So uh, overall, again, it was a fine match. It was a very good match. On most cards, this is match of the night. It just happened to follow the wildness that was Osprey against Kenny Omega. Uh, now let's go back to the, the top of the card. Uh, we start, I didn't watch any of the, the, the pre-show stuff, so if anything wild happened in El Phantasmo against Stu Grayson, I apologize that I'm not covering it here, but I'm not. Uh, MJF defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi at 1530 to retain the AEW World Championship. I think we all knew he was going to, to retain in this one. Um, you got a couple of good moments from, from Tanahashi, you see... I thought they told a really interesting story with him having some issues with the turnbuckle and that giving him a, a bit of a problem when he was going for, for high fly flow, uh, which is something I can never say correctly the first time or quickly, high fly flow. Um, and from MJF's standpoint, like he does the, the classic stuff. He's playing to the crowd. He's talking about being a legend. I, um, I thought the scheduling of the tweet saying I've probably already won this match was just mwah, chef's kiss excellent work with this character but this was never going to be the match where they could get you to buy in that Hiroshi Tanahashi was going to win the AEW World Heavyweight Championship from MJF with minimal build-up like that that was never going to be the case but th this match was good it, it was a, a good way to start the show you got to to rock out to go ace at the start MJF is is able to come out I wonder if no Adam Cole um because he was apparently sick or something along those lines, um, or selling the, the work from Tom Lawler, although they canceled a match on this show, so probably not. But um, I wonder if that, like, maybe hindered a couple of things with this, but either way, like, it, it was a fine match to, to start the show. And then you get CM Punk taking on Satoshi Kojima in the first round of the Owen Hart Cup. The finish comes at 1340 of this one, and for CM Punk, it was obviously a much more hostile environment for him than coming back in Chicago, and I think this is going to be pretty common now. I, I think you are going to get a lot of mixed reviews uh, from, from crowds on CM Punk, and like, this one was mixed. It was mainly negative, and I think he was kind of playing into the heel role in this match, going up against uh, Kojima, who was a veteran, we all knew Punk was going to win this match as well. That that was kind of the story for a lot of these things, is you kind of had an understanding of who was going to win a bunch of these. Um, which is fine. Like, th this this night and this show is for matches like we had in the main event and la matches like we had in what was essentially the co-main event. And, like, just dream scenarios of, oh my god, I can't believe such and such is in the ring with such and such. It's not to progress the story, although you, you kind of do that in a couple of these cases. It's not to do anything other than for us to be like, oh my god, this is really fucking cool that we got to see that dude against that dude in the same ring at the same time on the same pay-per-view. Um... But you knew Punk was going to win this, but I thought the commentary did a good job with 
talking about Satoshi Kojima's roots here in Calgary with um, with Stu Hart and with Stampede Wrestling and how that tied in with Owen Hart. But CM Punk obviously gets the win, potentially setting up what is a, a really, really potentially cool thing with Samoa Joe in the semifinals here of the Owen Hart tournament before it culminates during Stampede here um, at AEW Collision, I believe is when it's going to culminate. Yeah, it will be on um, uh, the last Saturday of the Calgary Stampede here. But like, I have a lot, I want to say mixed feelings about CM Punk. I don't, I have a lot of negative feelings about CM Punk. I think that he handled the entire, well, we talked about it at the time. I think he handled this situation about as poorly as you could. Um, I, I think that he has a bit of a victim mentality. Like, it's one thing to be, like, me against the machine the whole time, like, all the way. But it's just, like, everything in this company was set up for this guy, right? Like, they, they rolled out the welcome mat. They were in Chicago basically monthly for, for big CM Punk moments. And everything was set up. And he didn't like how a couple of guys handled things. And so instead of being a fucking adult about it, um he was able to really turn this into him being the victim and cry to the media with his boss sitting right there and then get into a fight. And then he comes back and cuts like, oh, it's a shoot promo, brother, with the uh, counterfeit bucks and, and all of these things. That's fine when you're fighting against this establishment that no one likes. But now, like, a lot of people are kind of behind AEW and... Honestly, felt like things were better before you got there or before you got back. Like they had just kind of recovered from you being a piece of shit and now you're back and you don't even have the decency to really get into. And look, I'm no one to talk about anyone's physical conditioning, but this is not the same CM Punk that we saw even in his first AEW run. Like he has he has a bit of work to do to get back into that form and he's never going to get back to 2011 CM Punk. That was 12 years ago. That would be absurd to to kind of expect however it does seem like he is expecting people to treat him like 2011 cm punk and so the least you could do is get us halfway there but like overall it was fine kojima's a whole lot of fun and that this match was what it was a four-way match for the aew international championship goes the way of orange cassidy as he defeats zack saber jr katsuyori shibata and daniel garcia at 11 15 this was really fun um, AEW has found a really good way of working these four-way matches. They, they did it with the four-way championship match back at Double or Nothing, and, and they do it here. This was a whole lot of fun. Uh, I thought the spots with all of the kicks and then all four of them kick each other at the same time and they all fall down, I thought that was really entertaining stuff. Um, I, I kind of thought we could see a, a winner, uh, a title change in this one. And in part because this was the only title that could realistically change. I guess we did see a title change later on with, uh, with Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, spoiler alert. But I thought this could be one where you could get a, a title change in this one, potentially with a Daniel Garcia. But if you wanted to keep, like Shibata already has an ROH title. Um, I guess it's tough with Zack Sabre Jr. The G1's coming up in a little bit. Is he going to be carrying around two belts? Probably not. So Daniel Garcia was probably the, the most likely one, but Orange Cassidy continues this amazing run. And I think this is a whole lot of fun, what they are doing with him, where he's just like somehow surviving 
every batshit crazy wild match that he is in in order to hold on to the, the AEW International Championship. But this was one where I thought it, it really picked up and we really got some momentum behind this. And Orange Cassidy continues to deliver phenomenal match out of uh, after phenomenal match. Then it was the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship defended by Sonata as he beats Jungle Boy Jack Perry at 1045 to retain the championship. Again, no one thought Jungle Boy Jack Perry was going to head into G1 season as the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. But it was cool to see um, Jungle Boy on this stage, and it like as far as the match goes, it was fine. Um, you could see like there were some points where Sonata, whether it was the character or whether it was the actual human being, wasn't taking this overly seriously as uh, a Jungle Boy challenge. But it, it was a fun match, and then you get to the post match where um, Jungle Boy attacks Hook after the match. Like, they get up to the rampway, they're celebrating, and then Jungle Boy, ba-bam! And down goes Hook. And I thought Taz sold it really well, dropping an S-bomb on the broadcast, and then he leaves for the rest of the show. Um, I just don't get why. You know, like, I, I really don't understand what we're doing here with Jungle Boy turning heel. Like, he just, just... Like, if you were going to turn him heel, have him join back up with Christian and, and Luchasaurus and keep rolling it that way. Like, it, it just, this doesn't make sense to me. The people love the entrance. The people, I thought, were quite a bit behind him and really enjoying his matches. Like, it didn't seem like this was an act that was becoming stale at all. In fact, it felt like it was an act that was on the rise a little bit. And so, to me, th this doesn't make any sense. Like, I think it'll help Hook because this will be the first major program for Hook for sure. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, Jungle Boy feels like... He doesn't feel like a heel to me. Um, the, the promo, like, it, it's honestly easier to cut a heel promo. It's quite quite a bit easier to tell 15,000 people to fuck off than it is to get them to cheer for you. Um, so, like, potentially that helps promo-wise. But I just thought, like, the, the real money with this character, I do believe, is as a babyface. And so to turn it here, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um happy to be wrong, willing to be wrong, and waiting to see if this actually does kind of change a little bit, but for right now, this just felt a little, hmm, I don't know where this is going, and I don't agree with how you've done it right now, but we'll, we'll see what, what ends up coming of this one. And then, you get a potential show stealer, a 10-man tag team match with the Elite, this time with Hangman Page, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, along with Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, defeating Blackpool Combat Club of John Moxley, Wheeler Yuta, Claudio Castagnoli, along with Kanusuke Takeshita and Shoto Umino, 21-25. This was really fun. Really, really, really fun. Uh, Ishii, as he is in almost every match he is in, um, one of the, the MVPs of this bout. I thought the Eddie Kingston stuff was a little confusing. Um... He is getting into these wild exchanges with John Moxley. Uh, he never really gets to Claudio Castagnoli, which was the whole purpose of this whole thing. And um, then he, like, takes a kick for Moxley, and then he's mad at the Young Bucks for him taking... Like, it just... I don't know if it just wasn't explained well on commentary or if it was just not a well-done story, but it felt awkward and it felt clunky in a match that didn't necessarily need it. Like, there was... I thought whether it was an Eddie Kingston or any number of other guys who could have come into this spot and fit it uh, filled in well. Like, it just... It, it felt like of all the ones 
to bring in Eddie Kingston, who I, I really like, and I'm happy that he is back. And when he went down with an injury, like you could make a very compelling case to put him in the world title picture. So hopefully he is able to get back to that. But it just felt like it confused things a little bit. Like it, it forced you to try to be uh, really tricky with... Um, it forced you to try to get really tricky and really creative with storylines, and it caught you. You kind of didn't need to. Like it just it made you do extra work from an AEW standpoint, and it just kind of it took away from a few moments of the match. But I mean, like when they were getting all of the heat on on Eddie Kingston, I thought they did a great job with that. I was a little surprised the crowd didn't super react to Tomohiro Ishii getting tagged in for the, the hot tag in that spot. Then the Young Bucks are excellent and all of that. But yeah, this just felt like it kind of confused things a little bit and and made it uh, a little like. Mm. You're kind of taking me out of this match, which was really fun. Like, other than that, this was a really fun match. Once again, um, Takeshita looks like a fucking star, man. Like, that that guy, the way he's carrying himself since his turn to join the, the Blackpool Combat Club, which I, I kind of think he has done, um, since that turn, he has felt like a super-duper-duper-duper-duper star. Um, I've, I've really, really enjoyed what he has done. Shoto Umino, um, it's hilarious how little he fit in with this group because, like, he's wearing wild bright colors and everyone's wearing black also just an aside both teams kept you wearing black and white like we i know when the young bucks come in, it's like, oh my god whose side are they on like that that's not the case we, we we are familiar with these guys both teams kept me wearing black and white like that that's just it's a it's a little thing that just drives me up the fucking wall i want tag teams to wear the same colors as tag teams looking at you shoto umino uh put some black in there with the pink like where there was uh baby blue all over you just put black works fine make it make it black but make it your own you know um but the other side don't be wearing black don't do that don't don't have both sides wearing the same colors um it just it makes it, it not that it make again it doesn't make him confusing i wasn't like oh my god why is uh, the elite fighting the elite oh they're not they're wearing like the you know who the combatants are in this but it'd just be more visually appealing you know you don't only have to wear white when you're going into a match where you're going to bleed you know like you can you can wear that in a regular match and have it be fun you can do that um so again nitpicky things but overall this was a, a really really fun one um tony storm retains the AEW women's championship in singles bout over willow nightingale at 10 30 this match was what it was again no one was believing that willow nightingale was going to win i was happy that willow nightingale got this spotlight and this shine um to say like this is a forbidden door match is really funny because like willow nightingale is an AEW contracted wrestler like she's been on the show a ton so it would have been, I think, a little bit more fun if you could have had a, a stardom person in here, but stardom had a show like today. So I understand that would have been a little bit tricky. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the social outcasts, they get the win. Um, you established Sky Blue as someone who doesn't like them after in the uh, backstage shot, which was what it was. Um, but don't have a ton of notes on this one. Do have a ton on the, the next one. At 39-35, Will Ospreay defeats Kenny Omega to win the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. I think someone on uh, Twitter summed this up best. This was a match of the year candidate, and then it went for another 20 minutes. Like, this was phenomenal stuff. And one of the great all-time moments in fan reaction in AEW is when Omega kicks out at one after Osprey hits the one-winged angel and that crowd loses their fucking minds. That they just go out of control 
for it. And that was that was a moment where I was like, oh, damn, these, these guys got them. And that, that was, in talking about the um, Danielson-Kazuchika-Okada match, that was the extra level that I was hoping this one would get to. Not that, like, Danielson's going to kick out a one at the Rainmaker or something like that, but just get that extra, like, oh, fuck, here we go. And then you just, like, put it in one and a half times speed and, and off you go. So this match was very difficult for that match to follow. And I think in hindsight, maybe you should have switched those around potentially. Although it is tough to say like, oh, this is for the best wrestler in the world. Now after them, here's Chris Jericho. Like it, it is a little bit weird when you are, are hyping it up that way. But no, that this match was phenomenal. Like too many spots to recount. The, uh, the, the spot with Will Ospreay, I thought they told a phenomenal story with Ospreay where he is so hung up on that match from Wrestle Kingdom. And they they show the thing where he's watching the, the tower of TVs and all of that stuff. And he comes out to the elevated theme. Like he has this, this he cannot move on with his life until he gets his retribution for what happened at Wrestle Kingdom against Kenny by God Omega. And Kenny Omega, he's like, yeah, this is a big match. I don't lose big matches. And you get the Don Callis involvement. That... That was just a little continuity thing that bugged me in this match. Um, it's not going to take it away from being like a, a five-star, 10 out of 10, 100%, whatever you want to call it. But the referee threw Don Callis out. And then the referee sees Don Callis come down, comes down, acknowledges him by going like, what are you doing? And then lets him stay. That didn't have to happen. So you could have either kicked Don Callis out initially or... Like uh, or just like figure out a different way for him to affect this match with the, the screwdriver or whatever, or just don't kick him out at all was what I was actually getting at. Like, just don't do that. And you, you might be better off in this one. But again, I'm nitpicking one of the best matches of the year. I don't know if this one topped Wrestle Kingdom. Um, recency bias is a hell of a thing. But these are like the two clear front runners, I think, for match of the year. Kenny Omega, when he is in this serious role, when he is essentially the cleaner and the best belt machine, that there is still not a professional wrestler in the world that can top this. And I feel like sometimes he gets a little bit too caught up in the character stuff and like you can't do this all the time. But I feel like it is nice to get these reminders like, hey, by the way, I'm still better than all y'all. Um, it's nice of him to, to kind of remind us in this moment, and he did tonight. And Will Ospreay stepping into that as well. I'm not the, the biggest Will Ospreay guy. In the, like, professional wrestling-wise, he's phenomenal, but there's that other stuff going on. but Or that went on, anyway. Allegedly. But for for him, he was spectacular on this show. And the... Again, going back to... Because I'm all over the place because this match was so great. But going back to the moment at the table where he's smashing Kenny's head through the announce desk and Omega's busted open from that. And it's a callback to when Osprey was put through the table by Kenny Omega back at Wrestle Kingdom. And then you have Osprey using the, the V-trigger on Kenny Omega um, and using the, the one-winged angel on Kenny Omega. And then Kenny Omega battling back and battling back every time. And he goes for this move that is unstoppable. And Osprey covers his eyes, hits him. Um, and then I, I thought, like, the really driving it home. Like, he hits... That, that elbow that he does, and then he hits the Stormbreaker, and then he gets the cover. Uh, like, this match, it, it's just, it's perfect. It's, well, like I said, I, I had one nitpick. But, I mean, this was, this, for these two men, this was perfect. And I think for Kenny Omega, his kind of forever rival, who he's forever going to be linked to, is going to be Kazuchika Okada, right? Like, the, those matches where 
Omega finally wins the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and finally beats Kazuchika Okada and that series that also includes like the 60-minute draw and and stuff like that. That that is going to be the 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 rivalry that I think defines Kenny Omega's career. But this is going to come very close. You know, like I don't know if this is going to get to the level with these three where it ends up being like. Tanahashi, Okada, and Shinsuke Nakamura were, where it's like just these three are just kind of linked together as a, a trio, but it, it feels like it could get to that level, given the, the quality of matches that these three men have all had with each other at different times. But yeah, like that this was that this was absolutely incredible, and was honestly, and I, I've said this a few times, but Kenny Omega against Will Ospreay 2 here at Forbidden Door is one of those matches that makes you fall in love with professional wrestling all over again. It had everything. There was drama. There was intrigue. You didn't know who was going to win until the, the very last moment. As that hand is coming down at three, you still think the Canadian hero is going to be able to, to kick out and still put on uh, a phenomenal showing, even at 40 minutes into a match where he's been busted open for 20 of it. He is still able to, to come out, and he just can't get that last one. It sets up what should be an incredible rematch. I can't fathom they're going to do 60,000 fans at Wembley Stadium and not have any kind of Will Ospreay involvement in that. And if you're going to have Ospreay, you have to have Ospreay against Kenny Omega. I, I think that that is certainly a match that you need to, to go forward with. But th this was this was great, and honestly probably should have closed the show. Just seeing how both matches went, I understand why you don't. You have Brian Danielson celebrating that he's now the best wrestler in the world and gets that accolade. Um, so I understand why you don't. And then the, the six man, I don't have a ton. Like Sting, Darby Allen, and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, Lost Sting, Gobernobles was the best thing I heard today. With Jericho, Minoru Suzuki, and Sami uh, Sammy Guevara. It was fine. It was what it was. It was, it was a, a quality wrestling match. So, but... Yeah, whatever. Everyone's going to remember Osprey against Kenny Omega. And now, looking at kind of like where where does this show now go from here? Uh, specifically AEW. Because now, um, New Japan heads down towards the G1 here in a couple of weeks. For AEW, the build is on now towards the end of August, where you're doubling up, right? Um, I guess, pardon a bit of a pun. But you have AEW all, um, all in, sorry, at Wembley Stadium. And then the next weekend, you have AEW All Out in Chicago. What is the, the build now for this? I would imagine Brian Danielson is incredibly insufferable. Uh, what direction do you go with Jungle Boy? I think Darby Allen needs a bit more now than, than what he has had. Um, I would imagine Adam Cole and MJF pick right back up. But th this is going to be really intriguing. And I, I think that... Like, we're coming to the end of the Blackpool Combat Club against the Elite. We're probably going to have some kind of, like, blood and guts at some point here. And some kind of stadium stampede type thingy. But it feels like AEW is in a really fun place. And this always feels like a weird detour along that road. But I, I think you've advanced some things. Like, there, there is, well, I don't agree with it. There is intrigue now in where Jungle Boy is going to go. There's the Owen Hart Cup that is going to continue and, and what CM Punk's involvement is going to be coming out of that and where does he go from here? And then who else do you kind of build with around this? So th there's a, a lot to be excited about around AEW right now. That is going to do it for this recap. Thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you all for watching. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at primetimeclient, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. 
Uh, I know I took this last week off. Like I said, there's a lot going on. We have some big announcements coming up very soon. So stay tuned for all of that. Thank you all so much for watching. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you all later.